There you have another mark of grace, don't you? A child of God, a true communicant. It's one who knows times of foretaste. Times of small things. Times of olive leaves. Times when I have a, a, a longing to serve God forever without sin in glory. Times when I may triumph, even if it be for a few moments over Satan, and may enter into the inner chamber of Jesus Christ and experience that His banner over me is love. Times when I may rest in the Father's bosom with all my worries and sorrows for Christ's sake. Times when by the Holy Spirit's grace I may take refuge to Christ and find in Him all my expectation. Times when I may say with the instructors in the Heidelberg Catechism, since I now feel in my heart the beginning, the olive leaf, the beginning of eternal joy, after this life I shall inherit perfect salvation, which eye has not seen nor ear heard, neither has it entered into the heart of man to conceive, and that to praise God therein forever. This is your life, friend. Oh, come. Come to the table of the Lord and receive there what we may call, I say it figuratively, the olive leaf of wine, the olive leaf of bread, the sign and the seal that one day, for the sake of Christ's sufferings, you will be in the new heaven and the new earth where righteousness dwells. The wine is a small thing, one sip. The bread is a small thing, ordinary, common bread, one bite. But they symbolize great things. They symbolize a new heaven and a new earth. Now, this dove comes to Noah, the Bible specifically says, in the evening. In the evening. He comes simply. He comes in an ordinary way. He comes with the olive branch. And what a picture this is. Of something contrary to what we desire when we think of the Lord's Supper. When we look at the Lord's Supper, we want something extraordinary. We want great things. We want them right away. First thing in the morning, so to speak. But God works normally with the ordinary, not the extraordinary. Ordinary sermons that work faith. Ordinary bread and wine that strengthen faith. And He brings ordinary sinners to their wits end in themselves all the day long as they establish, try to establish their own righteousness and fail. And then when they come to an end, in the evening, as it were, God comes. And delivers them. And shows them himself. And gives the olive leaf. The promise of righteousness in Christ. The promise of a new heaven. And a new earth. Well then Noah engages in a fifth act. Verse 12 says. He stayed yet seven other days. And sent forth the dove. Which returned not again unto him. Anymore. Now Noah knows. That the fields and the valleys are clear. 
And still, he waits. He's content to wait patiently for the Lord. His eye is expectant. His hand is busy. But he waits on God. And what a picture that is of how a believer comes to the Lord's Supper. His feet come. His body sits. He waits. He meditates. He waits for communion with God through the Word, through the sacrament. And then Noah engages in his sixth act of believing expectation. Verses 13 and 14. It came to pass in the 601st year, first day, the first month, the waters were dried, and Noah removed the covering of the ark and looked, and behold, the face of the ground, after 375 days, is dry. What a welcome sight. And Noah can now see for his own eyes that God has done great things for him. Reminiscent of what he did in his first works in creation. For when God created the first world, he divided the dry land from the waters. And now in the second world, God divides the dry land from the waters. And Noah sees the promise with his physical eyes. That too is exactly what happens spiritually in the Lord's Supper. God sets before our spiritual eyes the bread and the wine not only, but also before our physical eyes that we may see the promise in the bread and in the wine and believe that God has done great things for us. As surely, he says, as I give you this bread, look at the bread, see the promise. My body is broken for you, dear believer. As surely as you drink the wine, my blood is shed for you. Oh, what a glorious God we have. A God who fulfills his promises. And in the Lord's Supper, enables us to see by faith these promises being fulfilled to his own glory. While Noah is believing and praying and waiting and acting, God, who has been assuaging the waters, waits for his time to speak. And verse 15 is a wonderful transition. It's so beautiful, isn't it? Noah's doing all these things, waiting. And then we read, and God. And God. It's time for God again to act. God sometimes acts painfully, slowly in our lives. Noah had a had to wait a long time. 
But he chose to wait rather than to run ahead of the Lord. He dared not open the door of the ark. Calvin put it so beautifully. How great must have been the fortitude of the man who after the incredible weariness of a whole year, when the deluge has ceased and new life has shone forth, does not yet move a foot out of his sepulcher without the command of God. Oh, there's another mark of grace. A believer, a true believer, is one who has learned to wait in the area of sanctification. He's learned to wait for Jesus on the clouds. He's learned to wait for answers to prayer. He's learned to wait on God, to work within him the graces he needs. He's learned to wait. Have you learned to wait on God? Now, you must not confuse this with the area of justification. Some people do that. They say, well, I have to wait on God before I can go to Jesus. No, that's not true. God, in the area of justification, calls every man and woman and boy and girl to repent and believe today. Other people say, well, I can't deny that I've repented and I've believed and I know something of my sin and misery and I have some hope outside of myself in Christ and I long to walk in a way of gratitude and holiness before God, but I, I don't have the special kind of experiences like I had, like my mother had or my grandmother had and I, I'm waiting before I come to the Lord's Supper for the first time because I believe you need something extra special before you come to the Lord's Supper the first time. Where do you read that in the Bible? It's not in the Bible. It's not in our, it's not in our catechism. It's not, you know what our catechism says? It says, I think in the beginning of verse Lord's Day 28, that God, yes, that Christ has commanded, question 75, commanded me and all believers to eat of this broken bread and to drink of this cup. Let me read that again. Christ has commanded me and all believers, also olive leaf believers, believers of small things, to eat of this broken bread and to drink of this cup in remembrance of him. Not in remembrance of how big or how small my experiences are. No. So this waiting must not be confused. You wait on the Lord at the table. You don't wait to come to the table if you have the marks of grace in you. And you are commanded to come. If you know the basic marks, you'll hear about that tonight, of misery, deliverance, and gratitude, then you are commanded to come to the table of the Lord. Not because you are worthy or because you are so converted, but because of and God. Because God comes, God invites, God draws, God speaks, God shows. Then it says so beautifully, and God spake. What a wonderful thing. Noah's been in the ark for 375 days. 
The last time you read of God speaking to him was in verse 1 of chapter 7. And the Lord said, come. And now, 375 days later, and God could well have spoken to him in a special way in between, but 375 days later, God says, Go, come with force, and go is also with force. And what a command that was. Here is Noah, 375 days, confined in a one-window ark. There's, there's, of course, smell in the ark. There's lack of fresh air in the ark. There's probably lack of light in the ark. We, we don't know all the circumstances. But that must have been after a while, you see. This, this feeling of confinement. You know what it's like if you're inside your house, even for one week, you've got to get outside. 375 days, and God speaks. Would you like to deepen your understanding of Reformed theology? Check out Reformed Systematic Theology, Volume 4, Church and Last Things by Dr. Joel Beakey and Paul Smalley. This book will lead you to explore key scripture topics from biblical, doctrinal, experiential, and practical perspectives. Order the culmination of Dr. Beakey's life's work at heritagebooks.org rst4. time is right. God says, go. Go forth, Noah. Go forth from the ark. You see, God was in the ark. That's implied by the language. Go forth. All the time the floods were pounding that vessel. All the times that the light was not seen day after day. All the times the ark was being thrown about on the waters and their hearts were failing for fear. All the times God had seemingly been silent, God was with them. Go forth of the ark. What a lesson for us. All the times, dear child of God, that you are afflicted and overwhelmed and it seems that God doesn't speak. He's always with you. And if only we would be still, we would know that God is a refuge for us. Even in the greatest adversity of life, He is a very present help in time of trouble. God speaks. And God, you see, always goes before Noah step by step. Noah waits, God speaks. God lets us know what we need to do when we need to do it. God doesn't tell Noah, now 125 days from now, Noah, go forth. He waits. He's working lessons in Noah's life all that time. And when the time comes, he says, go forth. And that's what God does still today in, in, in a certain way. God doesn't reveal our future to us, does he? He doesn't tell us where we'll be in 10 years' time. He doesn't tell us, you've got to take a new job two years from now. Or you young people, you've got to marry so-and-so five years from now. He doesn't tell us distant things. But he guides us 
in present things. And today, he speaks differently. He doesn't speak audibly as he did to Noah. But he speaks through his word every day, every week from this pulpit, and repeatedly through providence. We have so many advantages over Noah in this regard. I've got the whole Bible. You see, if we don't hear God speak, it's usually a sign that we're backsliding or some other problem is afflicting us. And sometimes then, yes, we can become spiritually lonely and we cry out, don't we be not silent unto me, O Lord, lest if thou be silent unto me, I go down into the pit. But so often we make a big mistake. We think that God has to reveal to us a long distance in the future. We want assurance of the future. But God wants us to walk by faith. The Bible says, Psalm 27 says, the steps of a righteous man are ordered by the Lord. One step at a time, you see. Our steps are ordered. The, the Hebrew word here is dictated. God tells us what the next step is. Thy word is a lamp to our feet. And thy word is a light upon our path. Boys and girls, when you carry a lantern, if you're camping and you carry a lantern in the middle of the night, it guides you a few steps at a time, doesn't it? You don't see, you don't see your path 500 feet away, but thy word is as a lamp unto my feet to guide me in the way that I should go. Well, God commands Noah now to disembark. And God keeps Noah close to himself, you see. That's what we need in our daily lives. We need to be kept close to the Lord, close to His Word, remaining obedient even in little things, trusting that God will guide us in all things. Acknowledge me in all thy ways, and I will direct all thy paths. Go forth. Go forth, Noah, into a new world. Go forth into a new earth. Well, what an encouragement there is here for the true believer. You see, God is preparing you, even though he doesn't speak it audibly, God is preparing you, dear child of God, for the day when you will come to the Jordan and he will say to you at that time, go forth into the new heavens and the new earth. Go forth into Emmanuel's land. Come, ye blessed of my Father. Inherit the kingdom prepared for you from the foundation of the world. And you see, the Lord's Supper is just a little foretaste of that, a little promise of that, a little, a little anticipation of that one grand glorious day when God's people shall be around the Supper of the Lamb. The round table in the new Jerusalem. Feasting on Jesus Christ forever and forever and forever. Oh yes, the day is coming. And God shall say, go forth. And then with eternal joy upon our head, we shall enter into the new world. No longer living by small things. No longer living by olive leaves of hope. No longer walking by naked faith, but then to see my bridegroom face to face. To see that 
to see that lovely Jesus of whom the last book in the Bible speaks so wonderfully when it says that those who have come out of great tribulation and have washed their robes and made them white in the blood of the Lamb shall therefore be before the throne of God, serve Him day and night in His temple, hunger no more, thirst no more, for the Lamb, which is in the midst of the throne, shall feed them and shall lead them unto living fountains of waters, and God shall wipe away all tears from their eyes. Next week, Sunday morning, you will not physically see Jesus Christ. But spiritually, through the sign and the seal, you may anticipate a floodless glory. A glory where there is no more sea. A glory where we see nothing but Jesus. Where the bride eyes not her garment, but only the bridegroom's face. All oh, the glory that is to come. Dear child of God, do you not long at times for the Lord to say to you, Go forth and enter thou into the joy of thy Lord. Oh, that great divine Samuel Rutherford, he put it this way. Oh, my soul, how long is it to the dawning of the marriage day? Oh, sweet Jesus, take wide and broad steps. Come, my Lord, come over the mountain at one stride. For I would desire no more for my heaven beneath the moon while I am sighing yet in this house of clay, then daily renewed feasts of love with Christ, but all for the day to be with Him forever. Dear friends, the real question of this sermon is this. Do you live like Noah by expectant faith? That's what is happening here. Verse 6b, Noah opened the window. Verse 7a, Noah sent forth a raven. Verse 8a, he sent forth a dove. Verse 10b, he sends forth a dove again. Verse 12a, yet again he sends forth a dove. Verse 13b, he removes the covering of the ark. Verse 18, and Noah went forth. And that's beautiful too. Verses 18 and 19. If you look at it with me just a moment before we close this morning. Verses 18 and 19. Notice the parallelism with verses 16 and 17. God says in 16 and 17, Noah, go forth of the ark, thou and thy wife and thy sons and thy sons' wives with thee. Now look at verse 18. And Noah went forth, and his sons and his wife and his sons' wives with him. Verse 17. Bring forth with thee every living thing that is with thee of all flesh, etc. Verse 19. Every beast, every creeping thing, every fowl, whatsoever creepeth upon the earth, went forth out of the ark. You see the pattern. Noah obeys God consistently and precisely. And this has been habitual for Noah. He's been doing that for 120 years or more. He's been obeying God. He's been walking with God for decades. And so now he obeys God because he obeyed God previously. You see, my friends, if you learn to obey God in the bright hours, you will learn to obey him in the dark hours, and then when the bright hours dawn again, you will obey him once more. 
That is the lesson we learn from Noah. Noah must be a mentor to us in obedience. The best way to learn unconditional obedience to God is to get in the habit of unconditional obedience through the Word and by the Spirit day by day. And you see, then we don't wonder, shall I come to the Lord's table or not? But then our question is, Lord, how shall I be fed at that table? How shall I remember thee at thy table? That's a deeper question. It's not just a matter of getting to the table. It's a matter of being fed at the table. Noah went forth. God says, go forth. Noah obeys. What a blessing to unconditionally obey the Lord. When we're in the midst of a storm, when we think things can't end right, when no good can come from it, and we shall only suffer loss, remember the God of the storm, the God of the promise, the God of the covenant. He fulfills His own word. And we shall come forth out of the sepulcher of our experience, out of our prison, into a new experience. Yes, into a new earth. Our expectant faith, dear believer, shall not be disappointed. For the day will come, here below, when God will deliver us. And if not here below, when He will come one day to command us to disembark from this world into Emmanuel's new heaven and Emmanuel's new earth. Yes, God remembered Noah. That's how this chapter begins. And that's what God fulfills. He remembers Noah by removing the waters. He remembers Noah by giving him the sign of an olive leaf. He remembers Noah by speaking. Go forth. And dear believer, God is still doing that for you today. He remembers you by removing your floods of impossibilities. He remembers you by coming to you in small ways, tokens of peace. And He remembers you most of all by speaking to you. Weekly, daily, weekly from the pulpit, daily through your homes, through the sacraments, He speaks. Oh, hear his voice. Hear his cry. Put your, note, put your expectation nowhere else. Hope in God, for you shall yet praise him, who is the health of your countenance and your God. Amen. Thank you for listening to Doctrine for Life with Dr. Joel Beakey. If you were encouraged by this episode and would like to hear more, please consider subscribing and sharing with a friend. To enjoy more resources from the pen and pulpit of Dr. Beakey, please visit joelbeakey.org.